0: This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Weekends with Walshie starts now. Hello
1: there. Welcome to you. Thanks for joining us. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. My name is Peter Gowers. I hope you're well. I hope you had a great week. It's Weekends with Walshie time, so let's speak to Chris from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Walshie,
0: how are you, mate? Hey, I'm good, Pete. Good to see you again.
1: Good to see you. Good to hear your voice. And I'm fired up and ready to go for this episode. (laughs) Good, man. There is a lot to talk about. Let's kick it off because uh, Parliament was back this week, Chris. And uh, look, among many, many other things, of course, uh, there was lots to talk about. But, of course, Declan's Law was also put before the Parliament. And I say debated. But uh, you can explain exactly what took place for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, look, uh, you know, you get to this point here where I don't think that this government has a lot that it's actually trying to do anymore. Uh, you know, the, the, the legislation that's been presented here this week has been pretty uh, dull, I guess. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know there, there, there's matters of public importance that they're just kind of avoiding. Now they were pushed into a lot of this, of course, after the death of Declan Laverty, as you mentioned. Uh, so they, uh, you know, brought forward all kinds of different uh, a suite of measures, as they would like to say, uh, to address you know knife crime and and, and violence like this, uh, in, in an effort, I guess, to to prevent it or keep the community safe. And of course, the only reason this happened was that Declan Laverty was stabbed to death, and also that. You had thousands of people uh, marching on Parliament House to tell them, mm-hmm. we don't like what you're doing and you need to do more. And, of course, Labour locked themselves in their office is, <laughs> at that time. We're uh, afraid to, to, to confront the public, an angry mob, as it were. Uh, it wasn't all that angry, just saying, we want our children to be safe, we want to be safe. I heard Leah Finocchiaro say today, uh, in Parliament, that you know, we're living in a place where parents have their children sleeping in their bed or in their room because they're so afraid of their safety that 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 the thought of having them just down the hall, yeah, uh, is too much and. It's so true. And when you think about that, like just that statement kind of stuck with me out of everything that's been said. But that is so very true. And after your your home's invaded, uh, you know, and, and how far this stuff goes. Yeah, that's um, a pretty sobering thought that we live in a place like that where children can't even sleep in their own bedrooms at night
1: yeah it sure is. and when when you sort of collate all of the information and if you want to call it, evidence that has been put before us in the last couple of years, and look, you've only got to pick up the NT independent and have a read or any of the other news publications in the NT right now, some and some national publications you you have extraordinary things happening mm-hmm. on a daily, you, it's sort of, sort of like a perfect calamity. You've got extraordinary things happening in regard to crime. Um, you know, I, I think of the dental surgery that had, you know, these random kids in there doing things yeah. uh, the last couple of days. You, you hear constantly about, you know, people with weapons trying to take cars from people
0: forcibly. From mums, young mums with their yeah. babies putting their babies in a car.
1: When when you hear about all of those things, and, and, you know, they're just two examples, but this stuff happens every day in, you know, multiple places around the NT, but then coupled with the fact that you hear about, uh, and, and again, to stress, no fault of their own, but you constantly hear about the time it takes for police to get to crimes or to answer the phone, or to attend things, it's sort of like this perfect storm, and yeah. it, it, it's it's sounding more and more like a third world country, mm. and less and less like the any part of this country that that we should all be enjoying safely.
0: Yeah, and and yet this government doesn't seem to be tackling this with the urgency in which the public expects, and. Yeah. Right. You know, and we'll get into some issues here the, to show why the government does what they do and why they say things like, we're working really hard on this. It's generational change. You know, it's these kind of deflections that they yep. use repeatedly that people just get sick of and they're, they're tired of that. They want to see results and want to be able to go to the shops. Yep. They want to be able to put their child in the car without, you know, two teenagers coming up with knives and threatening them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And this, um, this little, uh, you know, statement of generational change, um, I, I loved when we had Warren Mundine on the podcast. He just shot that down in flames and said, listen, that is just utter crap. The stuff needs to start now. Yep. It, it, it needs, needed to start yesterday. But there's none of this generational change as in, oh, the next generation will fix it. That's not yep. going to happen. It's getting worse, not better.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and that's just what this government goes back to. And we'll get into that a little bit more where we can see clear examples of that, right? Where yeah. this, these are meaningless statements. And we'll, we'll get into that in a bit. But back to Parliament, look, the, the week was dominated by crime issues. Now, whether Labour wanted that or not, uh, that's what happened. And the CLP was good at prosecuting them publicly this week on that. Now, uh, some of that was, yeah, the knife stuff, which we'll get into, but... Uh, just kicking off on that Tuesday morning back in parliament, the, this, uh, petition signed by 26,000 people Mm -hmm. calling on the government to do more, uh, the so-called Declan's law, which had a nine point plan here of things, including funding police, uh, better, uh, uh, a whole swath of, of issues that have raised. Some have been addressed, you know, uh, some haven't been, and, it was it was remarkable to see that finally a petition, like we said, I think it was only the second petition in since this government was elected in 2016 that's actually proceeded to a debate in Parliament. Mm. Like that's remarkable. There there've been many, uh, and especially this one with 26,000 people on it. So they they determined that okay, we will do this now. They, the the CLP were caught off guard, I guess on. Tuesday Morning Files got up and said, we're going to debate this, but we're going to limit it to 10 minutes. Everybody who gets up who wants to talk on it only has 10 minutes to talk about this. And then we got to get mm-hmm. on to other more important things, such as uh, some sort of food bill and NTCAT <laughs> legislation, <laughs> you know, slight amendments to NTCAT. Uh, yeah, which was pointed out by Leah Fanacchiaro. And and look, the CLP fought that. They won, went to a vote to, to get more time. Labor used their numbers, shut that down. So it was yep. 10 minutes that everybody had. Uh, it, it, yeah, you could just tell that labor, I mean, yeah, it, you know, we'll get into that, I guess, here in a sec with what with what Turner said, because that was very interesting coming from a guy who joined the Labor Party because he shares those labor values. And we've talked about this a lot, Pete, how far this this particular government has strayed from its core labor values yeah. under gunner first and now under files uh, they're not recognizable as a labor party anymore but anyway look the, the, the debate happened uh it went down the way you would expect files spoke first uh just used her time to rehash the government's recently released a knife crime strategy and other strategies or approaches that they're taking to dealing with the crime. Not a lot of detail in any of this stuff. Uh but she she did tell Parliament and Miss Laverty, uh Samara Laverty, Declan's mother who was there in the gallery, that her government would quote stamp out knife crime before it takes hold.
1: Oh. So she she going back in time. Or? Yeah,
0: that's. Well, I, I I couldn't believe that she had said that. I thought that, and then of course that she and her team continued to quote work hard. Uh, she said, "I totally acknowledge the enormity of the number of people that have signed the outpouring of grief across the territory at the loss of Declan's life, such an innocent life full of potential and promise." Files said, "But we have heard the calls for change, and the concerns of territorians. And in recent months, as the chief minister, as a government, we have acted and will continue to act." Now, some of that involved those weapons. Remember, the bail laws weren't being changed, the weapons uh, yeah. offenses as well. Like, it was, they were laughed at because they weren't taking those makeshift weapons seriously and the yeah, presumption against yeah. bail yeah. uh, and the bail laws, right? So, um, and increased police powers. So she she pointed to all those things saying, look, we've done this. Well, but they really haven't. If you go yes. and look at the track record. Uh, so, Leah Carol gets up and she said, look, you, you failed to even speak for the full 10 minutes. We only get 10 minutes each. You couldn't even get through that 10 minutes. <laughs> she said, that's, that's showing a, a lack of respect. How little respect and care you have for the people who have fought this fight and fought it for so long. people who signed the petition people who signed up who who attended parliament in those protests uh and then she got into that this is and for the people in the gallery do you know why we're rushing the debate today she talks about the food amendment legislation bill civil and, uh, and administrative tribunal that's why this government doesn't have time to deal with your single biggest issue because they're busy doing nothing to improve the lives of territorians so when she was doing taking, done taking a few shots of files, she said, look, I'm going to use the rest of my time, and I suggest you don't cut me off, Chief Minister, if I go long here, but I'm going to read a statement prepared by Samara Laverty. Mm-hmm. And, and that was an emotional uh, statement. That was, you know, a speech, uh, a letter. It was... Um, yeah, I, I think that everybody who paid attention to that and what Samara was saying was touched by that and moved by that. And, and, you know, in some of that, she says, I made a promise to Declan. I first made this promise to him when I came to Darwin to bring my boy home. I was allowed to see him at the morgue, Miss Laverty wrote in the statement. As I sat on the other side of the window and looked at his face, a face that had several injuries and was so unbelievably pale, I promised him I would fight for him. I didn't know then what that fight would look like, but I promised him with all my heart and soul that I would fight with everything I had for him. I go to sleep with so much pain in my chest. All I have is memories, photos, and videos, and so, so much love. Uh, she says, all that has been cruelly ripped away from me. The offender was alleged to be out on bail for a previous offense with an edge weapon. That is the reform we seek. Nothing will ever stop these offenses from happening when someone is determined to do harm. But what we can do is mitigate that. Don't let people who have already shown a significant disregard for human life out to hurt anyone else. Mm. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the whole place was moved by that. Um, many MLAs, of course, except for some labor people who decided, including the chief minister, that she didn't need to hear this. She doesn't want to get uh, involved. Mm. And you remember that, that Samara had said that she's never really discussed it with files uh, as a mother, mother to mother type of thing, yep. where she said, look, I need some empathy from you. You know, d- Do you have children? And files wouldn't even say if she had children, which she yeah. does. But, you know, she just doesn't want to get emotionally involved. This is a political robot here, Uh, uh, full strength. Um, They were seen texting, Pete, typing on computers and reading other material while Fanacero read out that statement.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, Not the time or the place. You know, it's something I discuss with my kids regularly, time and place. And look, even if you don't care, even if you're busy (laughs) and you've got other things on your mind, just pretend like you do care for that time because – that's important to so many people, not just, not least of which are Declan's mum, but think about the 26,000 plus people who've signed that petition as well. They're all invested in this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And every territory really cares about their safety and wants to be able to go out. And so this is an insult, really, to them that, that she doesn't take this and doesn't appear to be taking this seriously. Yeah. Uh, or listening to that, that kind of real heartache from a grieving mother that then she just had no interest um so then they suspended this debate uh some other people got up and talked of course nicole manison apparently she had listened and she said what i want to say to Declan's beloved family is that we have listened we've listened to the petitioners we've listened to the community because no one wants to see things like this happen to a family and while that's true it's hard to say really what they're doing about that right so anyway uh, it resumed later in the afternoon uh, approaching evening and that's when independent mla mark turner up And and he was listening to uh, Samara's statement. He said it was the pain and it was palpable. And he admonished his former colleagues for not doing enough to keep the community safe. He said, it's a pain that resonates with many in the NT. Our citizens deserve better. They deserve to shop, work and live without the overbearing shadow of fear. The labor government went to an election promising change, promising difference. It certainly doesn't feel that way at the moment from where I or the community are sitting and nobody's correcting us. Indeed, when we watch what happens with the current government leadership, we see you laughing at us. And that has been the hardest bill to swallow by a long shot. He said... um, uh, the opposition leader read the statement from Declan's mum, and government members were on their phones highlighting their diaries and reading from their folders. What have you all turned into? How would you feel? Have you no empathy? What has happened to the Labor Party?
1: Such strong words. And as I've said a few times recently, the elder statesman seems to be uh, making the most sense these days. And...
0: Yeah, of, well, it seems he that had
1: way. to say it though, Chris. I mean, yeah, just, yeah, it seems
0: well, he sat back and watched that. He knows what it's like. I mean, he's a former cop and also he's. I think I heard him on ABC today when I was just driving home, and he was saying that. Um, uh, that he had to leave parliament because some people broke into his some kids have broken into his office or something and security had called him so he had to go and this guy's like out on the street most nights actually driving around Palmerston yeah. making sure the community's safe doing his own patrol of security guards and on his own. Yeah. Um and and then that's just the place we we live in now where it just doesn't seem like Labor's taking this seriously enough.
1: Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I got to say, um, I, I mentioned the community pages a lot, but they're a great resource to sort of get a feel for what's going on and yep. getting the pulse of the town. And uh, I did see, I was a few days ago, there was someone you know in trouble in his electorate, and. He was straight on there. What can I do? Where are you? What's your address? You know, how can I help? And, yeah. you know, I, I, don't, I don't see any other politicians doing that. I see some of them justifying their existence and tell them, telling everyone how they're working hard and doing a great job. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like him, dislike him or whatever, he's actually, he's actually practicing what he preaches.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, that's true about Turner, and I think with with Files and Madison and the others there, the cabinet that, um, you know, we've talked about this before. You talk about generational change. You've got you've got seven years now in yeah. government. Yep, you should be producing some success stories at this point, some results, and that just is not happening.
1: Well, I mean, it's the opposite, Chris. Seven years ago, uh, we we had a respected police force. Uh, doing a good job with enough men on the women on the streets to be able to do their job with enough resources behind them. Um, look, you know, from the outside looking in, and I talk to people all over the place regularly, and people from down south just think, oh, well, the NT is just in anarchy now.
0: Yeah.
1: It's, it's out of control.
0: Yeah, yeah. and then like, at what point does labor own that? At what point does labor take responsibility for that? I mean, the people that they've put in charge, the people that they've taken advice from, clearly have led us to this place where we're at now, where yeah. it doesn't feel like anything's going to work anymore. Um, and, and, and that's really unfortunate for everybody. But, I mean, yeah, you talk about that with police resourcing and stuff. That's one issue. We know that it's a multifaceted. Uh,
2: yeah.
0: Multifaceted issues are involved here. Um, but the police, like the, the response times had doubled. That was another story we had yes. this week that had come out during the coronial inquest into domestic violence. So those priority one calls, violent crimes. Yep. Uh, I guess arena shot up 145% in the last five years, their response yeah. time. Like, they're not coming anymore and and that's priority one so you're talking about the other things they don't come anymore they don't have enough people clearly they don't have enough resources this goes back to police like these guys have let this happen they put in a police commissioner who clearly you know um uh, screwed this whole thing up and, and they've taken his advice and said, okay, well, what do you think we should do, Jamie Chalker? And this guy screwed it up and they've taken his advice, but they haven't been, they haven't been funding it. And, we, you know, we'll get into that later, but we're, what we can learn from some of the other things they're not funding.
1: And Chris, the reality is, and I've said this a couple of times before, but let's, let, let's make a real definitive point of this. Uh, I, I, on two separate occasions, needed to go to a police station to get some documents witnessed. This is during the day, during the week, okay? So we're not talking a weekend or anything like that. Weekdays during work hours. I went to Mitchell Street. I went to Parap. I went to Casuarina. I went around. to Nightcliff. No one was open. The Mm -hmm. closest open police station during the day on a weekday was Palmerston. Mm. Palmerston, for all intents and purposes, is a separate city. (laughs) It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. And, uh, I mean, what's it actually going to take? This boy was stabbed in his workplace. Someone else was beaten to death in his bed. Yeah. What's it actually going to take for someone to go? Oh, hang on, this isn't right. We need to fix this.
0: Yeah, I, look, I think that's the frustration everybody's feeling now. And yeah, and you're right about Palmerston. Like that's where they they're taking these offenders at times, too, because no one's around at these other places. So, clearly, there's a resourcing issue. Now, they finally announced, officially, five months after unofficially announcing it, that they're going to do this review into resources. But again, you know, what faith is the public going to have in this? I mean, they come back and say, okay, you need to do this, this, and this. They're just not going to do it anyway. Like, you know, it's the bare minimum that they can get by to keep their jobs. That's what they'll be doing.
1: And as we're going to get to later, Chris, we know that, Recommended funding and actual funding are often two different things.
0: Oh man, yeah. yeah.
1: So let's just finish off on this um, in regards to what's happened this week. So the the actual um, uh, changes that are going to come from this Declan's Law essentially is going to result in no law changes whatsoever. Is that right?
0: Well, yeah, look, the Declan's law is calling for a lot of things, and they've tried to address, them. one of them was the knife crime stuff. So the so Files has tried to address some of these issues, uh, probably not to anyone's satisfaction. But they did release now this week, just before Parliament, I think on Monday, late on Monday, the knife crime reduction strategy. But if you're waiting for law changes on that, keep waiting, because... Mm-hmm. That that there there are no specific law changes. This knife crime strategy, which relies heavily on this, Pete, that uh, de escalation training for retail and hospitality workers (laughs) is the top of mind here. That's what they think. They're going to teach you how to disarm somebody. You know, you put your hands together when they lunge at you with a knife, you catch the knife in your hands.
1: Yeah. So let Uh, me just, um, you know, paint a picture here for you. So every. a hairdresser, every um boutique. Every
0: well they got, they got their own weapons, the hairdressers. Yeah, don't have with a hairdresser. <laughs> She's got scissors. You don't
1: mess with a hot dryer. <laughs> a hot hairdryer. But you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, you know, your average uh, retail store attendant, so what they're gonna be taught de escalation when some you know, let's be honest, someone who's ramped up on God knows what chemicals yeah. or whatever wants money or wants something that suddenly the the, the you know little boutique attendant what's gonna use jujitsu or something or <laughs> yeah. how's this gonna work?
0: Well this yeah. was the whole thing, right? I mean I, I, I think that they're doing what Alice Springs did too back last year where where they had the photo we ran the photo of the old ladies um people learning self-defense like that's what they're doing in Alice Springs they got senior citizens (laughs) learning self-defense in case they're going to be raped by some adolescent walking down the street which is a very real possibility there but but you know you don't really want to live in a place where that has to happen where you need martial arts to protect yourself and and defend yourself from being raped or assaulted, but this is the yeah. reality we live in, but here we are. And yeah. so, yes, yeah, so and now they're saying that that's when, I remember then the, they're giving the capsicum spray to everybody.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, see, can some the... citizens get that too? Or?
0: <laughs> well, yeah. not yet, but this is where we're, we're getting to. Anyway, the opposition called that knife crime reduction strategy. They said it amounts to choosing cuddles over consequences. Because I thought that was a good
1: line, yeah,
0: They're not changing any of the laws here. Uh, yeah, um, you know, it was hard to even tell when this came up, (laughs) this whole knife crime strategy, they kept talking about it, but it was never formally announced anywhere.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, so, but, you know, they know that the pressure's on them, so they say, okay, we're going to do this. And I think they followed Turner's lead. Turner at the time talked about the Glaswegian model out of Scotland (laughs) and what they've done. And then they were like, yeah, okay, this is a good idea. So Turner gave them the idea and they've got their experts on board, though they never tell us who the experts are. And this whole other thing has come up where they said that in violent crimes, and this is what their report is, just deflecting responsibility again. 5%, they said, involved violent crimes, involved knives. Only 5%. Now, yep. what about edged weapon speed? I mean, people would question those figures. 5%, that sounds ridiculous. How many people, how many fatalities have happened? What's the percentage with that? But they're saying knives. Remember, the police slash department of chief minister like to use the edged weapon, yep. of saying knife. So, you know, how much of that's playing into it? They're, they're being cute around all of this stuff and trying to get away with technicalities about things instead of telling people the reality of what's going on and addressing that reality. That's what this government has a problem doing, is addressing yeah. reality. <clears throat> so, yeah, look, this was ultimately panned, um, I think, by everybody. I mean, it's it's not a thing. They, they put together some five pages. Uh, Chancey Peck was waving it around on Channel 9 this week i mean it doesn't it doesn't mean anything it just doesn't and uh, yeah anyway but they think look if we make if we put it out on some paper then it'll look like we really have a strategy for this but i don't think anyone's buying that and Did anybody
1: uh, checked that the paper had something written on it <laughs>
0: yeah i think there were some images you could see and they're probably cut and pasted from somewhere else a
1: couple of pie charts here and there
0: yeah, yeah. look, there there was nothing here that, that was even worth um, getting into. Um, it was just, yeah, it was just them deflecting. Um, yeah, de-escalation training for retail and hospitality workers, uh, which had already been announced anyway, as well as the police's plan to detect and prevent knife crime in public places by wanding. You know, this stuff was all brought up. It was the stuff we've already heard about before. It was all part of the nut. No- knife crime strategy. So, yeah, um, yeah the, it, was just a, it was a week in Parliament, yeah, I guess the sum up of, of of frustrations boiling over and still no answers and no action seeming to be taken, no real yeah. action.
1: Yeah, Wouldn't it surprise me if you'd said that uh, the government have proposed to reduce the knife crime and edged weapon crime. They've instructed all retail stores to uh, stock less kitchen utensils to just uh, <laughs> the right... You know, like Kmart have been ordered to not stock as many knives and forks as they had previously.
0: Well, that would be... Yeah, that would be a real thing. That'd be something, wouldn't it? Yeah, because yeah. we know that's where they're getting some of these weapons from stores and shops, so...
1: No doubt. Yeah, you no know. doubt. Yeah, unfortunately... Um, You know, you've mentioned a few times about sort of the final dying days of government and and how there's sort of a look and a feel to them. This has got every look and feel to that in as much as we're out of ideas Mm -hmm. and we're not even going to bother trying anymore.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Pete. And yeah, that's where we're at. That's what we've seen this week. And then it gets worse.
1: It does because uh, the FARS government, it has been discovered through internal documents, have underfunded domestic violence programs in the NT by $160 million, Chris. I I thought that must have been a typo when I read it. Mm But let's talk about this. This is unfathomable.
0: It it really is, Pete. And since we ran this story, we've been getting calls from a lot of um, people who work in that sphere to help victims of domestic violence. And they're saying, my God, thank you for doing that story. We knew this, but the public did not know this. This is not getting out. Um, This affects a lot of people. And people need to know about this. And so I said, look, share the story, you know, what you need to do to get this out because i was shocked by this when we saw yeah. this and i and i'll just preface it by saying this too um this labor government no longer has any moral authority after this and the documents i saw to, to ever discuss even what they're going to do to combat domestic violence because this is a complete abrogation of their responsibilities as a government mm-hmm. and you know, I went through these documents, and it doesn't appear to me that anyone else in the media has. This wasn't like an FOI that I did; that I got some special thing. This was this was actually these documents were produced and tabled as part of the coronial inquest. Now, our good friends Elizabeth Armitage and Peggy Dwyer—you know—they're running this uh, ongoing. We still get to the Walker inquest again someday, I think. Um, but right now, and and this is this is very important as well. But they're doing the four four women uh, who, who who were murdered uh, th- as victims of domestic violence, and this inquest is looking at not only that and the details around each woman and how they died, but also uh, everything that the anti the anti's response, the anti government's response to domestic violence. And so last Friday afternoon which is interesting when they do that, Pete. Um, but I did, and I didn't even see it until Monday morning. I get in, I'm looking at things, I see this email from Friday night um, from the courts, and yes, yeah, some people had asked about this. Here are the documents that Dwyer was referring to when she spoke about the government's inaction mm. and failure to fund properly. And so I looked at those, and what I saw, like, I mean, this is great. I mean, it is. it did remind me of what I... Yeah, when I FOI things and we've got ministerial briefings, we've got included in all of this case documents that they released through the, the inquest, ministerial briefings, you got reports, you've got uh, uh, this internal task force that was set up interagency task force, you know, people from police, uh, territory families, Attorney General on Justice, all kinds of, of people who should know what they're doing. And they put them together on this joint task force and they said, okay, you've got 12, 12 months to peak for a review like this. That's unheard of. But they said, okay, you got 12 months. Go tell us how we're dealing with domestic violence, what we should be doing. And part of that was developing this budget submission. For funding for these programs, you tell us what we need, how we can do that, how much it's going to cost, essentially, and and what we're doing and how we're failing. And so they came back and it took them 12 months, I guess, because they were given 12 months. Of course, it's going to take that long. But what they came back with was, uh, you know, when you when you read this, it's like, okay, this is what needs to be done here and this is what these experts you know the government likes to call them experts when they're giving them what they want but when they're being told things they don't want it's just uh, some task force some group a working group is what the government it. yeah they're just a working group no it was like an interagency task force according to their own documents but they're trying to sell it off as now it's just some working group of people who don't know anything well they also consulted this task force also consulted with people at the coalface in the middle of you know, the people that deal with the victims of domestic violence, uh, who said, here's what we need, here's what's not working, here's what will work, this is how we need to do this. <laughs> um, so this, this report gets compiled, it gets sent back to the minister here, and it says, look, you're going to need over five years, $180 million, over five years, to do these various initiatives. And, and now some of them are working. They said, and they need to be funded better and longer term. You need to do it over five years, and this is crucial. Uh, and then they said, um, you know, and then that's, we'll get somewhere, but that's where we need. 100 million, $180 It million needs to be over five years so that you can assess whether or not these pro- the other ones, the newer ones, are working or not working. And so the, the government went back to them and said, well, you got to reduce that because we're not giving you $180 million. So they reduce it down to $90 million. They cut it in half, so already you're going to lose a lot. But that, Look, it is a lot of money. We don't have a lot of money because of the priorities of this government, yeah. right? And the, and if you just stuck on the funding here for a second, Pete, the this whole idea of this is that so well look, ninety million. So they get down and say, okay, well we can do this with ninety million. So the government minister Warden comes back and says, all right, well you're getting twenty. Twenty million. So it's eleven percent of what they asked. Yeah. Uh, Now. They also did 20 millions over two years. So even some of these new programs that they were suggesting cannot be evaluated or assessed in those two years. And they were told that and they did it anyway. They went ahead and said, well, fine, whatever. And the, and the, the report to the minister shows, look, you're going to have people who've been involved in this, people in domestic family and sexual violence, uh, uh, the stakeholders in this, not to mention the victims, but the people who run these programs are going to say this is not, What we need, this is not the long term commitment. Right? And so they turn around. Uh, They said it's likely to cause serious concern from stakeholders due to the short term nature of the funding, and that a quote might be perceived from those involved in the development and consultation process as insufficient commitment. Now, another report that was tabled in these documents uh, stated the failure to address these service gaps that have been identified and continuing inconsistent policies, which is what they have now. They have no total, you know, whole of government approach to this so continuing inconsistent policies and not addressing the service gaps will result or could result in quote serious harm or death we've seen that we've seen that already now some of these programs and i'll get into the bigger overall issue here later but some of these programs are very interesting that they've just slashed the funding on They, they were told do this some of these are working um yeah they just didn't uh some of these... Well, first, I guess we should say that they're told... She's told this, that this is robust evaluation of these initiatives and impact of interventions overall is not feasible within two years of allocated funding, but she funds it for two years anyway. And they say, look, you know, you've got the inquest coming up. This is, this is going to come up in this, and whatever, we don't care. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Maybe nobody will report on it. <laughs> I think that's really what they're thinking. <laughs> that's what they're having. and then yeah, and they forgot the independent exists. So these briefing documents, though, so, warned Kate Warden, who is the minister for uh, domestic family. Uh, and sexual violence prevention uh, she was warned in these briefing documents okay you're really screwing this up by not funding this properly and only doing it for two years you're not going to be able to even go back and say that you've assessed things properly mm-hmm. and they said okay well you're going to do that and then you know that what well, you should tell the public <laughs> right they <had> this. <laughs> here's how you spin it uh tell the public That uh, addressing domestic violence, quote, requires long-term commitment and generational change, and suggests also, too, that it's preventable when, quote, we put the safety of women and children at the center. Wow. (laughs) And so... You go back, I went back and I found this, those exact lines were used in an April government press release and similar phrases were used just this week. So the day that we ran the story, I'm sure some people were thinking, how the hell did you do that so quickly because they just announced phase two or action plan two of this. But I'd already been reviewing all of these documents that had come out in the inquest, all these secret government documents that showed this. They used similar lines in the thing that they put out yesterday in this announcement. Like, this is all meant to control and to spin the public on what they're doing and saying, we're working hard. This requires generational change. That phrase comes up again. But they're telling her in this, just say that. If you're not going to fund things properly, just tell the public that and that'll take some of the heat off. This is the advice that That they're given and they take the advice that's the thing that that infuriates me more than anything is that a minister who actually wants to see change and things happen doesn't say sorry that's not good enough we've got to do better we like you guys advisors you need we need to do this i gotta go into cabinet and fight for this and you know when you have somebody and and let's say the warden may very well have wanted that 90 million or even 180 million she couldn't persuade her cabinet colleagues to give that to her um but look you've got a an emotionally uh, repressed or distant chief minister who, who who won't even listen to a grieving mother's comments so why would she care i mean she got him out of sight out of mind she doesn't want to hear about women being murdered by their partners uh in domestic you know horrific domestic violence incidents because then she might feel obligated to do something about it and it's better to just have it as figures on the page and say yeah you're not getting 180 million we need 12 million for uh, for grandstand you know and then we need this many million. oh here's one of the best ones we put in the story 10 million to give to nt airports who already have their own money so they can attract flights more flights around yeah. the territory right now this was done on the same day that they had announced some domestic violence stuff and uh i remember we did the story and the file said here's 10 million for the airports to get flights the 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 federal government can fund urgently and then called on them to urgently fund domestic violence things and this is what this government always goes back to and they say we need the feds to come in here we need them to fund this domestic violence stuff but p if you remember what we talked about a few weeks ago with the uh, school funding stuff yes there was this guy who said but okay the federal government should give them money but on this condition that they watched that that the nt government meets its commitments its funding commitments to the same thing so what the nt government does and we've seen this and everything is they'll say okay here's the deal on this, let's say school, education funding. We're going to commit to this, Uh, but that's not going to be enough. So we need more from the feds here to come in. Now when they get that money, they then pull the money back that they had previously committed and we've seen this this is going on and then this money goes into other things that funds whatever they want this tiger brennan overpass which by the way is getting so big and out of hand when i see that and that's like 160 million dollars right there we did not need that and that would have funded these domestic violence programs to 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 save people's lives. But I look at that thing now, the way they're building it when I go to work and I have to take a detour around because I used to go down that road. Yeah. Like, I'm not even going to use it. I'm going to continue this whole detour down Hidden Valley Road. Yeah. Probably going to be quicker than me waiting for all the lights that they put in. (laughs) Like this is Yeah. The priorities of this government are so out of whack. And it, and you can see it no more clearly than in this when we get to see behind the scenes, when we see the advice that's offered, when we see the, these experts come together and say, here's what's needed, and they fund 11% of what is needed because they've got their own projects. Look, they're more worried about re-election right now than they are about a woman being murdered by her husband. Hmm. <laughs> you know, this this is really what it all comes down to. Um these programs. I just want to tell you some of these programs and what we could see here. And it did was kind of a lot to get through here um, while we're reading all this. But it actually had it, people. Like it had here's what should be funded and here's what you've actually funded. Yes. And We never get to see this stuff, so I thought I got to take the time here to do this. Um, so some of these uh, domestic violence programs facing the funding shortfalls included what was called an Aboriginal community-led domestic fa- family sexual violence prevention program that aimed to fund prevention initiatives designed and delivered by Aboriginal communities. Now this sounds important, but it sounds like this yeah. what needs to be going on here. Yep, uh, it was reduced. They said, okay, three point eight five million over five years. Instead, uh, Warden and the Files government said we'll give you 700 grand over two years, and with no, and we won't commit to evaluating that program's effectiveness. <laughs> right.
1: So now you're wow.
0: throwing money at things, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, this That's is...
1: literally throwing money at it, yeah, with no. No. outcome, expectation yeah. whatsoever. The so,
0: so, so people who get this money and then, you know, the auditor general will go and this will come out in a report sometime that all oh, this grant that was given to this group to run this was yeah. never overseen its effectiveness and, and and whether it was being done efficiently or for the best interests of Territorians. Because they're just like, well, take two years and 700 grand instead of 3.8 million over five years. But by doing it over the five years it meant that they could go in and assess yeah. and make sure that these KPIs were being met. So they just said, okay, we're not going to to look at it, but here's 700 grand. Uh, another initiative would have expanded the capacity of prison programs to reform domestic violence offenders under what they call the single evidence-based framework, but whatever that means. But it was a, a prison program for people who've been convicted of domestic and family violence uh, to reform them. It, it was proposed. Uh, for 33 million over five years. Now this is something that the government's talked about. They think that they like it. They've said that they like this. It looks good. It was given nine million over two years. And again, you know, there's not going to be that commitment to go in and review because two year time frame you're not going to be able to review. So there's another nine million. Uh, another initiative to strengthen specialist uh, domestic family violence court model that had been successfully trialed at Alice Springs Court was recommended to be funded. So this was something that was working. Funded at three million over five years. Uh instead the NT government said the federal government money from this partnership, that can cover it. We'll give you two hundred and thirty thousand a year over three years. Wow. So they, they weren't even they knew it was successful and they said no we're not giving you any money they on that. Fund it. No, they they gave them nothing wow. on that. Now, they announced these Pete in this whole thing that she put out this statement this press release saying here's our new action plan too to fight domestic violence they mentioned these programs but they don't put a figure near any of them uh yeah there, there was this other one uh strengthen the response of specialist services towards child victim survivors to reduce impacts of dfsv domestic family sexual violence uh, that one, not even specifically funded the document show, with only a pledge to use $690,000 of federal money per year over three years. It's another one. You're dealing with children who are victims of this. Yeah. And they're saying, well, the feds can pay for that too. You know, we got an election coming up. we got, we got, we got to fly around the territory <laughs> and uh, steal money from taxpayers so we can get reelected.
1: Uh, on election days when the ballots are open.
0: Yeah. Like this is... Just and I don't even understand. Like, I wrote them questions and I said, Why are you guys even putting out this release now? You know what was tabled in, in court, even if not anybody else is reporting it. You know what was tabled in court. Do you think the territorians are stupid or just <laughs> ignorant? <laughs> like, you know, and then and they won't answer that. I think we know. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I just. This whole thing, look, I and, I and I'll just tell you, getting back into that, how they do this funding stuff, and the, what do they call it? Cost shifting. That's the nice cute yeah. little name for it. Cost shifting. So they'll say we'll pay this much, and then the feds come in and get money, and then they peel back that money and they cost shifted somewhere else, right? This is just this is the worst example of that. And I'm telling you, if they even if they got a hundred and sixty million that they needed to cover the shortfall on. I don't think it would actually go to domestic violence be. Like I honestly believe that they would use it for something else and tell everyone, oh yeah, okay, well, we're gonna do this, this, and this, and not do it, because we've seen it. The Land report, right? You remember this whole document that told them budget repair, how to fix the the debt? And how to fix the mismanagement basically in the territory's finances. That was one of the things that they said was that you can't just go throw money without checking things out.
2: Yeah. Throw
0: money at things and like have a system, have a plan, have a whole of government approach to things. And what they've done with this domestic violence is by putting out this press release saying that they're they're doing stuff and they're taking real action. No, they're not. They're, they're they're just not funding this. And then they don't even, then they said 20 million, just bring up the fact that there's 20 million being thrown at this. Well, yeah. that's probably not even in the best places either where that, that 20 million is going. It's just, like I said, they have no authority to ever even discuss domestic violence and how they they intend to solve it anymore and you get back to a government a morbid government on its way out in the dying days this is this is just shocking this stuff and uh, you know some of the other documents that we found in here you know that saying that the action plan you know would it significantly compromise the ability to deliver on other policy commitments now this is something and the government would say oh we've increased funding they didn't, there was a section of a report that showed the budget for staffing in the office, In the so there is a thing called the Office of Domestic Family and Sexual Violence Reduction. It was cut significantly, the funding, the year that labor came in. The first year labor formed government, um, it was brought down to $530,000. That was like over a million before that. This year it has a budget of 570,000 uh this is all like that that just shows you right there what their commitment is to this they're defunding that
3: yeah
0: the other things they're not going to meet the necessary funding but this one they're cutting funding they're they're actually cutting funding to domestic violence stuff here um yeah the report also ranked the likelihood that government agencies would not be committed to the whole of government domestic violence policy work as medium Uh, it identified the risk of not monitoring relevant data as medium as well. So they're saying that there's a likelihood that all these won't get on board and that they're not reviewing the data that they need to be reviewing. Short-term funding to address the problem, which the Files government adopted, was identified as high risk for not properly reforming the system. Now, the report found the NT only had five staff overseeing reforms in this space, uh, implementation of those reforms. Well, Queensland had 80 staff members. Victoria had 150. The ACT, which you think is even more similar in size, 25. Well, and of course, it's way smaller. The ACT had 25 staff members. We only have five for the entire Northern Territory. Yeah. This is crazy. And that, that was where yep. they were cutting this. Now, Queensland had committed $363 million over five years to deliver their responses to this issue. Um, and again, you see that it was over five years. That's that long-term commitment to, to identify those gaps and ensure that, that the people aren't dying, that things are being done, that they can assess everything. This government did not do that. They refused to answer our questions. Uh, she, of course, has previously blamed the Commonwealth, as we said, and and, uh, and files uh, also saying ten million for airports. We already have money, but <laughs> not going to fund these domestic violence programs across the territory. And we know how bad it is here. We don't have to be reminded of the statistics that show that we lead the nation per capita on this. Yeah,
2: in
3: uh, every in twenty
0: twenty one the rate of domestic violence-related uh, deaths was seven times the national average here in the NT. wonder yeah. why, because the government's yeah. not doing anything. They're doing nothing on this. It's ridiculous.
1: There was something you said at the start that hit home that kept filtering through as you were talking, and that is about the feds and the NT government wanting the feds to come in and fix a lot of these things. I think the feds should take a leaf out of their book and actually come in and fix those things, but set up camp in the NT yeah. and, and fix it permanently.
0: It's what I call that administrative intervention. Yeah. yeah. Right? Where, okay, if we're funding this, we got to make sure it's being done right. And we just know from examples. I talk about education. Let's talk about remote housing. You can throw that in as well. I mean, yeah. the government fails, continually fails to meet its objectives on that, and the feds continue to fund it. And remember, they got in a big stoch with... Um, Uh, former Indigenous Affairs Minister Nigel Scullion, he said, well, let's just do a glass jar approach, right? I've talked about this. I remember covering the scandal, and Gunnar said, no, I don't want to do that. He said, no, glass jar, we're going to show where the money goes. Here's what we're putting in. You show us what you're putting in and where it goes. And Gunnar wouldn't agree to that. He wouldn't even let a public servant he wouldn't even like humor the idea of yeah. that and getting a public servant to show where the NT's money went and why it wasn't reaching its targets. He it just did not want to do that because it's all being siphoned off into other areas, things that yeah. they think will get them elected, overpasses on Tiger Brennan Drive that are not needed. Yep. Uh,
2: Grandstands. Uh,
0: yeah, electioneering. Um, uh, this, this is, like I said, though, I... Yeah, I hope more people uh, read the story to see exactly what this government does and what they're up to because it relates to everything, but no less significant is the issue of domestic violence here and the fact that this government does not care, clearly.
1: No, and I reckon you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the program that was actually working and uh, in Alice Springs and they intentionally funded it at a fraction of the rate needed. I mean, nothing needs to tell you more that they're not serious about getting this fixed than that, because it works. Everything else might be a crapshoot, but that works, and they still haven't funded it enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Pete. It's uh, pretty dire.
1: It is. It is. And unfortunately, there's no punchline at the end of that story, Chris. The only punchline we're getting is a punch in the face by having to listen to it. So, Yeah, absolutely. Let's hope it gets sorted out. Chris, the Auditor General is refusing to sign off on the bachelor financials due to significant governance deficiencies. Are we surprised by
0: this? (laughs) Well, no, but but also, you know, what she highlighted in this thing was that there were six reviews. There have been six reviews undertaken over the last six years, including that ICAC one. We know about where he didn't want to embarrass anyone who was just educational. He didn't want to say public punish or embarrass the Institute.
1: Just a a few suggested behaviors at the end of it.
0: (laughs) But there were all these other ones by by big consultancy firms. Uh, The Assurance Advisory Group Financial Governance Review in 2017, Deloitte Assessment 2018 of Budget and Cash Flows the Vincent's Risk Management Project in 2020, Ernst & Young Financial Sustainability Review in 2020, Bentley's Review in 21, and the ICAC Review last year. Now, she said each of these reviews has resulted in reports identifying areas of improvement and or recommendations for the Institute in relation to corporate governance matters, financial management, and internal controls. Many of the recommendations are yet to be addressed. Yeah. Looking back, When the first one was, what, in 2017, so six years ago, they're still not addressing this. So she goes in, she looks at this, she says, nope, I'm not signing off on this. Uh, This is not good. Significant deficiencies in the governance and financial controls of the Institute. Um, And yeah, so dire that she just could not sign off on the financials of the annual report. She also called into question student records management, In that uh, damning report. Uh, So this just came out in Parliament this week. This is part of her general report. Uh, So there's some other things we're going through in that, and and you'll find too that there's a there's actually a government department that she won't sign off on, and get into that at a later date. Yeah, yeah. We wonder why our problems exist here and getting worse and worse. Anyway, so, yeah, with this one, that was it. She's saying that her audit of the 21, uh, 2021 Bachelor Annual Report, she was unable to obtain sufficient appropriate audit audit evidence to allow her to express an audit opinion on the financial statements, further the internal control and process weaknesses are pervasive and not confined to specific elements, account balances or items within the financial statements, And I am unable to quantify the potential material misstatements, Mm. uh, if any, she says, arising from these weaknesses. So, yeah, that's not good. Um, She also said something in here, and part of the problem is this, is that these people in the senior roles that are supposed to be in these senior roles keep bouncing around. <laughs> like they, they have somebody as chief financial officer. And I think she said there were like six of them in the past year and a half or something. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, th- th- this is what the problems Um
1: It's like a work experience set up. They change roles every week, they go to a new department. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like it. So the council, she says, look, all of this stuff is the, the institute council's responsibility. Uh, now, the chair of that is Pat Anderson. Um now she is of course involved heavily in the yes vote stuff. Um she lives in Canberra, but somehow she's been chair of this since February twenty nineteen. Um listed as being paid between thirty and fifty or forty five thousand for her role. However, yeah, Woody's saying that he's talked to sources who say that it's uh pay the 40000 with access to salary sacrifice. Another source said that she's given a, a daily travel allowance on top of accommodation when she visits bachelor campuses. But you got the chair living in Canberra here. The auditor general wrote that her audit found what she called significant deficiencies in the entity-level control environment um, Monitoring processes, there were issues there, internal controls over the financial reporting process, general information technology controls, and an absence of controls over student records. Uh, Yeah, part of this was um, I'm trying to find this part here where from the beginning of 2021 to the conclusion of her audit, there had been six people either nominally or acting in the position of director, four people in the position of chief financial officer. And this is just in one year, I think, it might've been yeah. it might have been a year and a half, and four people recorded this holding the position of chief operating officer. <laughs> uh, yeah, which of course increases when you're having that, the use of remote working practices as well, including the, so managerial yeah, yeah, yeah. oversight's an issue because people aren't actually there. Yeah. Uh, so surprise, surprise, the problems are there. Anyway, yeah, look, this is the latest on this. Again, it doesn't seem to be something that the government's too concerned about. It's only public money, after all.
1: Was anybody uh, acting officially in the role of art curator for the uh, Bachelor Institute?
0: Right? <laughs> yeah, we, <laughs> I know what you're getting at. <laughs> we, haven't, uh, we haven't got any update on that yet. <laughs>
1: haven't tracked down those pieces yet? <laughs> yeah.
0: No, and I and I hope somebody is looking at it. Um,
2: yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, no, this is um, yeah, what, what's been allowed to go on there? I mean, it's not even meeting its national training accreditation obligations, like yeah, this yeah. Is, and the other allegations that are still out there, um, yeah. about the mismanagement and bullying, nepotism, executive contracts not being valid, uh, like all of this stuff, stolen equipment. Spending more money on executives than instructors employed on qualified staff, who could not provide student numbers for qualification awarded. Like this is stuff that's pretty big, mm-hmm. and how you're allowing this to continue to operate? I don't know. It's like probably some of these ministers who are ministers now should probably head out there when they're done being ministers <laughs> and just mismanage that because it's almost like a microcosm of the Northern Territory.
1: Just drop back into the education sector, and
0: uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Paul Kirby will be the next CFO out there. A <laughs> Warden can be the chief operating officer.
1: <laughs> <Take> <laughs> it's not act, get better. An acting CFO role for three months, then slide into uh, you know COO, and maybe hit the chairman's chair for a few months as well. <laughs> See which role you like best.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, Screw the NT up just as badly. This is just another example of that, or another symptom of
1: that, I guess. Yeah. It'd be best if it was uh, some sort of a sitcom, I think, but uh, unfortunately, it's not. But thank God, as we have said many times, for our beloved Auditor General. How do we make yeah. sure that she never leaves that role, Chris?
0: Oh, I think we make her the ICAC and prepare uh, <laughs> whatever she wants to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that'd,
1: be, that'd actually be quite good, wouldn't it? She'd, uh, she'd yeah. take control.
0: She shows that she's not afraid to hold no. people accountable. But then, of course, do you think that this or any of the other matters raised in her report will be debated in Parliament at some point? No, <laughs> I don't even know why the opposition doesn't bring this stuff up. Yeah, I guess they just figure that they can't fix it either. So, uh Let's just pretend it's not happening. But somebody needs to be held accountable here for this stuff. Like somebody, you can't just keep bringing people in, paying them these obscene amounts of money.
2: Yeah, public uh, funds.
0: Yeah, where, where alleged crimes have occurred and just you know, keep doing it over and over. I don't know what it takes to fix that.
1: It's, it's, a, it's a classic example of that, um, that uh, you know, kid's game where, okay, let's start again from now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they're doing that every three weeks in there. I think. All right, now you're the CFO starting now.
1: It's a monthly do-over. <laughs> uh, anyway. It's just messed up. Yep. Well, Chris, I did have to question if it was April Fool's Day again hmm. uh, this week when I saw this next article make the uh, NT Independent front page, and that is? No, this isn't the story. Anyway, this is a good one, this is a good one nonetheless, but we will get to that funny one shortly. The yeah. deputy police commissioner, Chris, uh, has decided it's time to leave NT police.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. After a long and distinguished career we've been told, <laughs> and that's reported elsewhere, but let's be honest here. Chalker's deputy police commissioner now to retire from the anti-police. Now this is the man that the, I, I still contend Pete was brought in for comedic effect. <laughs> um, That we needed, we needed a laugh. We needed a, a buffoon to come out and split his pants open while serious stuff was going on. So we could all have a laugh. I mean, this guy's right I'm out of Facebook live here. Man. <laughs> yeah. He's right out of like some sitcom yeah. here. Just the bumbling cop. <laughs> You know,
1: it's the, it's the NT's Kramer. <laughs>
0: He's just messing everything up now. Yeah, you might remember him from such hits as that Facebook Live video, where, of course, he, unbeknownst to him, apparently, despite being the deputy commissioner of quote capability, was <laughs> incapable of monitoring or operating his social media account properly, and he accidentally live streamed himself on Facebook. In which he was caught suggesting that the collective noun for a group of police officers should be a murder. You remember that one? And that was coming when tensions were very high over that murder charge of Zach Rolfe while he was awaiting, awaiting trial for the shooting death of Kumanjai Walker.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, at the time, P, you remember we talked about those calls from the rank and file for his resignation. I mean, people were, were furious over this. The Correct. union was, everybody was. Uh, Chalker, however, Jamie Chalker, then commissioner, um, decided that his best mate, uh, that there would be no disciplinary action taken against Small Page because it would be better if, quote, people in the world were much kinder to one another. That was his reason. I I read that the other day and and I was what the hell does that even mean? Why did he say that? Who was not being kind? Like, he wasn't being kind to police officers by suggesting that they should be called a murderer. A group of them should
1: be called a murderer. The only one being unkind was the one who was not being disciplined.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Now, Small Page, you know, he's bounced around. He's been in some other things. but, uh, look, we've just heard so much about him over the years, and little hijinks he's got up to that, for whatever reason or not, maybe sometimes can't be reported completely with his name attached. But <laughs> let me just tell you, like I said, he's the bumbling buffoon here who just comes in for a laugh and whatever. But, you know, he the, the, look, the most recent little stuff up from, a five here was when he went to Alice Springs in July to claim without facts that crime in the troubled town had dropped to its lowest levels in four years. Uh they were forced yeah, to retract yeah. the comments later, but I, I was reading that again and he had said um he just said that, yeah, crimes crimes of the uh, four-year low in Alice Springs. So we're able to go out and do other things <laughs> and, and like there, there was an issue there, right? There was something about how calls for certain things were down, or something, to a four-year low. That the, there was some uh, little pinch of truth to something, but he completely stuffed that up by saying, no, it's crime, crime's down, and that's what I'm told. <laughs> well, you can go talk to our media people, but that's what I've been informed about, the crime's down. But he didn't think, he's just like, yeah, I'll go do this uh, press conference about how crime's at a four-year low." He didn't think, like, wait a second, I don't think that that's true. Now, this guy yeah. spent a lot of time, Jamie Chalker sent him down to Alice Springs. Now, a lot of that was um, while well, the inquest, the, the Walker inquest was going on. And uh, he was there to weed out what they thought were leaks, you know, just to intimidate officers down there. But this was Chalker's right hand man, Murray Smallpage. And he did, he was a yes man to Chalker and did everything Chalker said and sat there. He was, he was brought in in 2020 by Chalker. Now, his announcement that he's retiring effective next month, September 15th uh it comes a week though this announcement less than a week after murphy was announced as police commissioner and this is this is pretty telling in the statement pete he wished small page all the best for his retirement he didn't even say like this is a great man who did great things he just says yes. yeah, i wish him all the best in his retirement <laughs> now the other the media advisors whoever was putting this together tried to make it sound like there was some dignified career here and then perhaps there was, like I said, perhaps there very much was in WA. I'm just telling you by we only judge a man by his actions and what he did when he came to the NT. Yeah. It, it was even worse than laughable. But, uh, yeah, he was brought in for in 2020 from WA by Chalker. Uh, he said in a press release once even in the serving in the NT police has been an honor and a privilege. He's a, he's a wordsmith as well. Here, uh, I'm grateful for the many unique experiences and opportunities that this career has provided me. Yeah, uh, all the stuff ups. Um, never mentioned any of those controversies in the world. He focused on the challenges that came with policing during the COVID pandemic. Is one of his greatest memories. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> how do he put it. <laughs> exactly. Something like that. When I reflect on my time as deputy commissioner, I couldn't be more proud of the men and women who, at short notice and a personal sacrifice, worked at some of the most remote locations in Australia to keep the community safe during that time. <laughs>
1: uh, trying to catch that guy with one phone.
0: <laughs> yeah. Trying to get over the border. Well, the thing is, I think Murray's, Murray was out there himself driving around at some informed between uh, WA and NT at certain times there. Uh, yeah, not really much of a surprise though, given the Murphy's come in and he's definitely Chocker's guy. He's now there, he has? Uh, yeah. And this was funny too, that I heard Travis worse. I think it was this morning on, on Mix, and Katie Wolf had asked him, Oh, is because of something to do with leadership changes? No, Katie. Of course it does. But anyway, but worse, I thought worse would just say, yeah, okay. Uh, Look, I can't comment on that, whatever. Um, But he actually, so I don't want to talk for for Murray, for the great Mr. Smallpitch, but um, his contract was not going to be renewed next year when it expired. (laughs) And like, this is remarkable that the worst would say that. So basically worst has confirmed now that uh, his contract was due to expire next year, wasn't going to be renewed. He's already been informed of that. So he's decided he's going to retire go it on a high note. I'm not sure what that was. His last public appearance was lying to the public about crime <laughs> rates. But anyway, that's a high note for this guy, so we'll take it and we'll see you later, Murray, and we wish you all your best on your retirement.
1: So what there's no angle there to sue the government? Normally when you get told <laughs> that contracts aren't being renewed, it's boots uh, and all in.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, the, there was just this idea that I think he was he was due to retire um right. sometime soon and that he was going to go anyway and then he was staying on because of Joker but anyway to know this today the worst let that, that slip that they actually told him his contract wasn't going to be renewed next year that's yeah. pretty interesting. interesting yeah
1: is that the sort of stuff that internally wouldn't normally be yeah, made you know, public
0: don't say that stuff. <laughs> he said yeah, the yeah. quiet part loud on that one, Pete, yeah. and then still said, "Oh well, he's at such a distinguished." Forty-four years to the day from when he started. I don't care. I want to know what this man <laughs> did to make the NT better, and I can tell you, not very much. And when you're when you're talking and taking orders and being the yes man for the worst police commissioner that we've ever seen, and I, and I base that on fact that mm-hmm. you know he's the, the Chakra was the commissioner that the first one that we know of, that uh, all of his staff got around and and passed a no-confidence motion at him. Didn't want him around, but he still hung around, and this guy was doing whatever he was told, whatever would make Chalker happy. So, yeah, yeah, he will be missed by nobody in the police force.
1: My big concern is, Chris, that, uh, you know, we've had the top cop and now his uh, 2IC both retiring out of policing, at the end of their tenure. So how old are these buggers we're putting into these jobs? (laughs) They're hitting retirement age when they're
0: leaving. Yeah, Chalker was nowhere near retirement. But yes, it was quote-unquote a retirement. Um, Yeah, I thought you were going to say, well, it is interesting too because it leaves now some open roles because Murphy was Chalker, was a deputy as well, right? So you've now got the deputy roles up. Yep. And uh, who's going to do that? Well, right now, and Murphy's been given this contract to be the commissioner, he's going to bring in his people, and it'll be very interesting who he picks. Um, we, we we always know more than we're allowed to say about this stuff, but, you know, let's just, we'll, we'll bring this back up when we see who these <laughs> okay. deputies.
1: We'll see who the official announcements are made about, then we can uh, dissect Yeah, yeah,
0: and yeah, see what, what, what the reasoning would be behind it. And I'll tell you, it's probably not going to be in the best interest of the territory. Right. Yeah.
1: All right, well, we'll wait with bated breath. And meanwhile, let's move on to the next story. And uh, the Chief Minister is uh, looking to fly to Washington on a strategic mission, according to state media reports, Chris. And what (laughs) concerns me most about this is that uh, the Chief Minister of the Northern Territory uh, is under some impression that defence fits under her umbrella.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, we were laughing about that and saying, like, isn't Madison our defense <laughs> yeah. minister? Yeah, we, which right. is not a real thing, but it's. Yeah. But they made it a real thing, but it's not a real <laughs> thing. But it's on paper, and I think they get paid. Um, wow. But no, at some point, uh, it might have been when she took over as chief minister, she made herself. Honest to God, Pete, if you Google that, <laughs> files uh, the legislative assembly, it'll come up that she's the minister for defense. Right. <laughs> okay. That is not a territory not a thing, no. thing. No. And so, anyway, so and the look, Fed
1: should be ringing up and saying, "You are not to call yourself that. You are to remove that title, yeah. and we will sue you if you don't."
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and then to use it to just—I mean, look, you—you—you you, you read this story. Some other people read this story. Now, what I yeah. had to do with this story was take it from. The state media and that being the yeah, uh, yeah. news. And, you know, I know of no other way to describe them when they've done what they've done here, which is clearly be given, they've been given information from Files' office. They've not sought or applied any journalistic rigor to that. They've repeated a verbatim. They asked no questions. Uh, in fact, it appears that they changed it to the point of, um, of making it more glowing or more supportive of this trip at one point they said that it was vital that this trip that she's planning to washington is vital (laughs) um would see the chief minister meet with quote key u.s federal government decision makers to advance the territory's role in supporting u.s defense training initiatives under the australian united states alliance and the nt again like, wow. like you said like she's got no authority and then it's called the australian united states alliance not the northern territory united states alliance <laughs> um yeah so look i you've read the story though like i was saying and what i think when when you come away from that you're like wait a second they've got no reason to be going to washington no. this is just what it is it's a junket it's to at last hurrah Perhaps you know, twelve months out, she's going to want to be back, uh, the, you know, with the campaign and doing things here and uh, whatever her strategy is there. But this seems like, look, and then we have sources telling us that this isn't the the Washington thing; isn't the only place she's going to go. She's going to go to. They're trying to set up Hawaii and Las Vegas as key destinations.
1: I believe there's a good swell deal around Hawaii areas. Uh, <laughs>
0: Look, and the the other thing was was defense, they said, and uh, critical minerals. Uh So that's another thing that they want to have discussions about. Though Madison is most definitely the Minister for Industry and Mining, uh, who would know the most about that. Uh, But she's not going to be on this trip. And uh, Anyway, and then there was something else about uh, emergency response or something that she's going to go and brag to Hawaii or... West about how great our emergency response is to things. Well, there,
1: there was a bushfire around the house a few weeks ago, so yeah. she's going to brag about that, despite the fact the whole island burnt down.
0: Yeah, well, exactly, and to, to go there. I, yeah, just and don't. I
1: believe just, they also put out a thing recently saying, please yes, do don't. not come here.
0: Yeah, don't, and uh, yeah, I think Oprah even got chastised for wanting to go there yeah. with cameras and do this. web well, files will do it anyway. She yeah. doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, the the, the the whole thing is just, it's nonsense, this trip. And the fact that they didn't put out a release about it, right? This was the thing that I found most alarming is that they just gave it to state media, the NT News. The NT News just ran it verbatim and then added things in. Uh, mm. And I thought, this is so weird because years ago, they actually did pledge to to put out releases for any ministerial travel in advance, as well as a cost estimate of that. Even the NT News didn't even ask them about, well, what do you think this is going to cost? And really, why are you doing Who are you meeting with? That's the other one. Like, who do you actually have? Now, we're told they got nothing. They got nobody to meet with. Now, this is how we know that the government's rattled as well, Pete, is that they then on Sunday, they put out a release. (laughs) So we ran this story on Friday, and we had to get it from the NT News. But we sent them questions, like proper journalistic questions that you would ask. Uh, uh, a public official before they go away on a taxpayer-funded uh, junket, and they didn't respond to us. So we had to take this from the state media. But the, <laughs> this idea <laughs> that, that, that this is part of something, that this is is necessary, it's just completely ridiculous. So Saturday morning, though, they did put out a release, right? Yep, They said... Okay, this is where we're going. So we updated the story and said, okay, well, the government finally released a statement on Saturday morning about the trip using similar phrases to those reported in the anti news. Costs, who is traveling and who the chief minister is meeting with, were not released. Now... That is ridiculous to me, but they put that out Saturday morning anyway. And then Sunday morning, and I don't know if they're rattled by this story that we ran or what, like, I think the feedback that they probably would have received from the public is you do not need to go on this trip. This is a complete waste of taxpayer money. But Sunday morning, I, I still cannot decipher what this release means, Pete, and I'll try and pull it up here, but it says U.S. congressman. Um, impressed with what he sees in the top end, and it's like, oh, what is this? Uh, it was something about activities that he's seen. So this Republican guy <laughs> shows up. Uh, yeah, U.S. Congressman impressed by activity in top end.
1: Down Mitchell straight on Saturday night,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then she says it starts. The NT government is strengthening defense ties with the US this week. The Chief Minister met with Representative Brad Wenstrup, who was visiting Darwin on a US State Department organized congressional delegation. The congressman was accompanied by Commander of the US Navy and, and RAF Base Air Commodore Sandy Turner. They visited the U.S. Marine Rotational Force Station in Darwin and were briefed on the works today. This is honestly everything that it says here. Congressman Winstrop is on the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Charged with the oversight of the U.S. intelligence community, the chief minister also shared the Northern Territories experiencing and managing COVID-19 as the congressman is chairman of the U.S. Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic why is that a media release, a, a news release yeah. for the government? I yeah. have, unless they're trying to justify this trip even more, right? By saying now, yeah. yeah. I encourage people, go look up Brad Wentz and Donald Trump <laughs> and Donald Trump, right? Like yeah. this guy is a supporter of Trump's. Now he's voted for things. I was just seeing a, a, an interview that he had done where they were asking about the January 6th stuff and about Trump and, and he he implied at some point in there that it was security's fault.
2: <laughs>
0: right. Capital. Yeah. From the January 6th insurrection, that they should have been better prepared for this. <laughs> this guy has apparently voted in Congress along the lines of uh, overturning the election, a lawsuit that was aimed to overturn the results. There is wow. a, a clear story where he says, where he's quoted saying, I accept that the electors you know, from the Electoral College voted for Joe Biden. However, you know, the liberal bias media, big tech, all these other... Invisible enemies have uh, have ruined our democratic systems. Um, and, you know, and the big tech thing is like going after that company that was doing the polling, right, with the like, yeah, yeah, polling yeah. thing and big saying that, that was great. He's like, he's like this closet Trump guy where he says these things and he's very close to Trump clearly and he supports him, but he doesn't come right out and say it. Yeah. But, but why is Files putting out a release about hanging out with this guy? Uh, just because she wants to justify. But nobody's going to read this release and say, oh, wow, wow, I guess that's right. The US Huckerman's impressed with us here, and she's going to go there and make them even more impressed. No, that's not going to happen. She'll go there and embarrass us all. Anyway, it kind of reminds me of when John Elfrink went on one of the, well, he went on a private holiday over to the States with the family, but he told me, I went to the White House. I said, I know you did, Jackass. You went there on the same tour that every other tourist gets. And But he was trying to say, like, oh, I had meetings, and I met with NCIS yeah. people, not from the TV show. And I was yeah, right, uh, whatever. Man, you went to Universal Studios. They had an <laughs> NCIS ride, <laughs> honestly. And this is just what this is. And the, there's absolutely no reason for her to go over there. Like I said, Pete, we're going to FOI it. She should have known that. Just yeah. to hide it from us and not put out a release initially and let the NT News kind of do... Uh, her her promotion on this, um, that's bad because it doesn't matter to us. We'll get the story anyway, but we'll get the real story in the end. We'll F-O-I as soon as they land back in Darwin. F- yeah. What
1: and even what we've already talked about so far in this episode, regardless of even if there was something for her to do there, right, which we agree there's not, but even if there was <laughs> – don't go because the joint's burning down to the ground. Yeah, yeah. out, yeah, stuff at home first. Yeah.
0: yeah. And that's what territorians will be thinking when they yeah. see that. So, yeah. yeah.
1: Anyway, all right. Well, um, the story I was referring to earlier when I got a little muddled, a little caught off guard, shall we say, Chris, <laughs> is this, I was probably jumping the gun. I was so excited to talk about it. I thought it was a joke when I first read about it. And then I found out it was canceled. The Jamie Chalker Leadership Seminar Summit is now off the cards. What's happened?
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, it should be called something like that. The Jamie Chalker Excellence in Leadership. <laughs> 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 I was just thinking about that time, Pete, when I had to FOI. Do you remember when Chalker he got in some trouble and the fireys were angry about some dumb dumbass comments that he made at the recruitment with the recruits. It was their second day in training, and he showed up. And, and they lied about what he said, and so we had to have a lie. And they, they first told the media and everybody, oh, there's no audio. Yes. The media girl had taken yeah, it. Yeah.
1: The Social media expert. Yeah, she no, forgot. Oh, yeah.
0: I was just using it for clips, she said, for something. We didn't need audio. We'd have music. Yeah. And it's like, that's not true. And so anyway, I have and We got the audio and the audio was clearly on the phone. Al Arnold is her name. I think she's still employed there. And it's worth bringing up because she, she may have
1: been promoted.
0: Yeah, <laughs> She may be the director of cops now, <laughs> but she lied. She lied to a, a senior fire uh, official when she said there was no audio on there. And then we have it and there was. And what the audio showed was at one point, this is how I, I picture this leadership seminar going down. Jamie Chalk, this really happened, Pete. I'll show it to you sometime, but I think we've got to put that up online. If we didn't, we might have done that already. Anyway, in this meeting, he's there with these new fiery recruits, and they're all gung-ho and eager. They want to, they want to make a difference. So he, yeah. and then he's being as smarmy as he can, and he says, uh, all right, let me ask you this. Who here wants to see the bullies win? And of course, rightfully, no hands go up. Because who wants to see bullies win? None of us want to. Nobody, see it. huh? So it's silence. It's crickets for a while, right? And he's looking at everybody and he's nodding and goes, Well, I don't. And he puts his hand up like that. Well, I don't with his two fingers together. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to see the bullies win. And it's like everyone must have been confused and looking at each other. Like we couldn't yeah. see them, but their reaction must have been like, Is this guy an idiot? Did he not just ask us? If we supported bullies and we didn't put our hands up, and then he puts his head. Honestly, that happened, be Like he, uh, was running around.
1: That's a video we've got to play. You send that to me, Chris. I'll put it put that up on our social media as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. No, it's a Go classic on. man. We took some screenshots from it. Um, you
1: know, reverse question, and then stuff you yourself <laughs> up,
0: and it was like. You know, that year when he gave that that crazy rambling speech after the uh, role verdict, after the non-guilty yeah. verdict, where he failed to mention anything of importance <laughs> or anything to do with the issue. Anyway, yeah. the, the government's seen this. They saw that he's, you know, 80% of his staff who responded to the survey had no confidence in him, but he still hung around for a year. In the lobby, and then uh, then they try to sack him. The chief minister tries to sack him. She screws that up so badly that he gets to sue the government and walk away with a reportedly seven figure seven figures here, some payout, taxpayer fund of payout. So apparently, somebody in the anti government's been watching this and thought. Yeah, I like what he's doing here. <laughs> I like this guy. Yeah, the cut of his jib here. He's a, he's a brilliant man and a great leader. Let's bring him in for our special, and it's called this, Authentic Leadership Series. And this particular one was Reflections from Jamie Chalker.
1: That is gold.
0: Now, <laughs> this is a real thing. It was promoted. I know I've gotten texts from people saying, why the hell didn't you tell us about this? We'd have come. We'd have had tickets. The thing would have been sold out. And it's
1: it's not part of the Darwin Comedy Festival, is <laughs>
0: it? <laughs> yeah, we're the Darwin Festival at all. No, that should have been. that. There should have been something like that, um, where he comes out as the drunk clown or something. Anyway, I don't know. But... Yeah, look, no, know, this was a real... Been
1: introduced by his mate that's just retired as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a and They do a whole <laughs> little, little Vaudeville act. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm <laughs> like a Vaudeville comedy, comedy act. That's... <laughs> Oh, man, I got to think about that. That's a that's a million-dollar idea. Anyway, this Authentic Leadership Series, which is put on by the NT government, uh, was being promoted by the city of Darwin and the NT government. We, unfortunately, didn't get wind of this until Monday morning when it was inexplicably canceled. Now, it offered attendees a chance to hear from the former commissioner about his, quote, leadership journey, career progression, and decision-making, challenges, and life outside work. Uh, the seminar was mm-hmm. scheduled for Thursday morning on the sixth floor of NT house on Mitchell Street there, you know that building, yep. uh, with an ad on the eventbrite.com.au website for the event featuring an NT government logo. So, it appeared the tickets were free, indicating the government probably paid Chocker for <laughs> reflections. Uh
1: What's the seating capacity of that venue, Chris?
0: <laughs> it's a boardroom. And so we, we checked and we looked into it and it's like a boardroom, a Department <laughs> of Chief Minister boardroom.
1: It's right, so a 10 seats,
0: maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Take the table out. Yeah, and like, I guess it was open to the public, but the, the idea here is that it was for government employees, I guess, to go and learn uh, from the great wizard himself here grand man on this now of course we know the history of Chucker and, and retiring after that bungled attempt temple walking away with them. reported now we don't know i mean there's all kinds of rumors going around but but you know most people will tell you that it's uh, seven figures that he walked away with mm. so you know That came after the legal action and just before he was about to file evidence and include correspondence between Files and Kate Warden. Sorry, Pete, i got to keep bringing that up because if that doesn't look suspicious, right? Mm. That's that's just bad stuff there. That was clear something was going on in Files and then used public money to pay him off and keep him quiet. Uh, Yeah, first police commissioner of that no-confidence motion. Uh <laughs> they made no mention, of course, in the promotional material for this of any controversies or turmoil during Chalker's term here. He uh Chalker restored, they wrote as part of his work, Chalker restored the agency to a true tri-service with the anti-police force, territory fire and rescue services, and anti-emergency services operating under individual structures. Uh, yeah. fires aren't happy with that. The promo material mentioned briefly that Chalker's tenure quote tenure was framed by a fatal shooting in Uendamo two days before his tenure commenced. They mm-hmm. didn't use the word tenure twice. And that she wants They're switching then to he praise. So they got out of that right away. <laughs> Although it's good that he's using that to, to go around and talk about his leadership, you know, something where there's still unresolved allegations <laughs> related to that. Yeah. Uh, switching then to he praise for his handling of the COVID pandemic um anyway yeah now the other part of this was and you can see this and I, I'm, I told you the other day I'd get into what my theory is that actually happened here but when you see this it's ridiculous but anyway Chalker hailed as a hero of aboriginal Australians in promo for this seminar uh they stated that The chucker made a significant focus of servicing remote and regional communities while in the role that he drove the important agenda of improved resources for all Territorians, including those living outside major centers. Uh, Highlighted his work with indigenous Territorians, claiming he was, quote, responsible for building connections with Aboriginal communities. Chalker oversaw the return, this is what they say, of Aboriginal liaison officers to assist with this work as part of a broader recruitment policy, including regular squads of constables of police, Aboriginal community police officers, and auxiliaries graduating from the Anti-Police Fire and Emergency Services College, it said. All right? so he's really playing this up that he is some sort of hero. For aboriginal people that he got more involvement of indigenous people and police Mm. it seemed to be his whole thing it goes to probably motives in some people's minds of how that whole rolf walker thing went down um it's it's actually kind of alarming this and and here's what i think happened now one theory is this uh now there was i should just tell you this end this the event listing state of the public servant, a public servant named Ann Walters had organized the seminar with other documents appearing to show Walters works for the Department of Chief Minister and Cabinet. Head public servant Frank Daly did not respond to questions, including how much taxpayers may have been charged for this seminar and if Chuck would still be paid despite the event being canceled and, again, why it was canceled. But, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, there's one idea here that uh, this was all part of the settlement. Right is you go and you go on your little uh, tour around the world. Like he was at cricket in London at one point, then he was at a Toronto Blue Jays game in Toronto, my baseball team, which he had no business. He should not have gotten there. Uh, He also was in San Francisco for the Giants for a baseball game with the Giants. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, you get the sense was this part of the whole idea that, yeah, Jamie, you go, and uh and, and 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 do this three month, four month tour of the world and come back and we'll get you on the speaking circuit around the territory. Mm. Right. So there's the idea of that. Now the other thing that I, I didn't tell you, which is what I think honestly happened here, but the fact that you gotta ask like this stuff about what he did for for Aboriginal communities and building connections. He still thinks that he's got some sort of future here with this. And I think what happened really is that the Zan Walters is completely oblivious to what's going on here. And I can't prove this. I don't know. I'm not saying she did anything wrong. I think, what happened was that she thought, oh, well, we'll do this seminar with him. He was the former police commissioner. and We'll get him on. Somebody saw that. and said, what the hell are you doing? Like, you cannot bring him in. He sued the government. He got some payout. He snuck out the bank. You cannot do this. There'll be outrage if you do this and you're paying him money. Oh, well, I've already signed the contract with him. And he sent us this real nice bio that says he yeah. great things. he did great things for Aboriginal people. And I thought, Oh, yeah, well, he sounds like a good guest speaker. Like, clearly, somebody didn't know what was going on there.
1: And I've sold out the 10 tickets. So what are we going to do now?
0: <laughs> well, returning the money to everybody. And since it was free, that won't be a problem. But we're not paying Chalker either. But yeah, I honestly, this is a big stuff up and it's embarrassing stuff up for the government on this because I think that is probably went down. But the Chalkers somehow thought that that was cool, too. Like, Mm -hmm. of course, they want me to come give a little space and let me talk about how I made the aboriginal communities better. That's outrageous. But you can see this is what he's going to try and do around here. Well, I don't think he's going to be able to pull his little speaking circuit or around here. You're going to have to take it somewhere else, and nobody down south will want to hear it either about this guy. So, yeah, I don't know, man. This is just sad. This is just sad. <laughs> it's point.
1: I do need to ask the question, though, Chris, and hopefully this doesn't uh, get lost in the fact that this is a reference to a bygone era, but is Frank Daly any uh, relation to Arthur Daly?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh don't know that. <laughs> he's, yeah, Frank Daly just kind of, he's been very quiet in this role after he mm. came in to replace Jody Ryan as the head public servant. Um,
1: it's a well-known Darwin name, but yeah.
0: Yeah, he was, um, he was going to uh, send them all on integrity. Oh no, that was the person who was in the acting role. Was going to send all <laughs> the CEOs on integrity courses, and we asked him about that, and he didn't want to say. But I'm yeah, sure
1: there was a budget for it, so they couldn't do that.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. Anyway, that is embarrassing for them. Uh, totally embarrassing to set this up and actually promote that you would hear Chalker talk about leadership. Anyway.
1: Well, like I said, I, I did think it must have been an April Fool's Day thing, apart from the fact that, uh, you know, at the time when I read it, it was in August. So, <laughs> But, you know, being the NT, it's possible for yeah. someone to, you know, get their August and their Aprils mixed up. Yeah. Anyway, Chris, final story for this episode. This is one that I was very happy to read about, and uh, it mirrors our listening audience at Territory Story. <laughs> Yeah. So that is a slightly higher percentage of women <laughs> fish in the NT over the men, according to a study. Who did this study?
0: Well, that's <laughs> very interesting, Pete. Who did do this? Fisheries Research and Development Corporation.
1: <laughs> Sounds legit.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure of them. Uh, it was called the Social and Economic Survey of Recreational Fishers 2018-21 to Northern Territory. Report. So yeah. we found now that 32.7 percent of adults went fishing once a year, about 60,800 people. Territory, I guess. Uh, yeah, released this year. Found 33 percent of territory women went fishing at least once a year. Uh, did not give that specific figure for men. Only showing on a graph that they were there were slightly less men as a percentage than females. So, fishing rates in the NT were higher than the Australian average of 21.4%, which you would imagine was yep. part of uh, the fun up here. Uh, yeah, with the national average for women being 17.8%, and average for men, 25.3%. That's nationally, of course. So, so uh yeah, Joanne Rutt, the Amateur Fishing Association NT Projects and Administration Officer, said female fishing participation rate in the NT came as no surprise. She said, territory women love fishing. We fish with our families our friends and our children. We love the challenge and the fun of fishing and the connections it brings in our relationships and to the environment, she said. Uh, David Turavello from AFANT said the study showed the value of recreational fishing and fishing tourism has continued to grow. Uh, yeah, and the, of course, we know about the financial implications here of all of this, with locals and visitors contributing 270 million to the territory's gross domestic product in 2020. Um, that's significant, it is. Um, and so, yeah, so we're happy to see that. I heard ABC talking about this, they had uh, Rocky Edwards on former ABC and Glenn, a big-time fisher herself, and talked yep. about how. And, you know, she was saying, look, you know, for a lot of women, it's it's relaxing. They get out yep. in the open. They get to relax. They can do this with their husband if they choose. And, of course, if you marry a hunter or a fisher, she said, if you're not one, you're going to become one. I thought that was the <laughs> of Rockies there, so uh, works. Uh, yeah, so but yeah, women are enjoying this, they're getting out there, they're doing it together and she was on there promoting uh, a women's fishing comp that mm. was happening this week, so, and, and only for women so, yeah, I think that's that's great to see that kind of stuff here
1: I do too, I think it's brilliant and like I said, it reflects the uh, Territory Story listening audience slightly higher female listeners than male listeners, yeah. and we love that fact, Chris
0: We do. We do indeed. And I think somebody will explain that to you. Somebody was telling me that. A friend of the podcast was saying it's because, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of gossip that goes on with you guys and women like that. And, uh, yeah, that it's – but you get some new stuff in there as well and you get – People holding people accountable. And she said it's really like the real housewives series.
1: <laughs> oh wow, that's changed my whole look on it. So it's got nothing to do with my chiseled jaw. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no. So they just uh yeah, I, I think ultimately she said they, they find it entertaining. So it's um probably
1: true. There is but, some gossip And
0: you learn there. and you learn something. Yeah, there's some gossip and then it's me yeah. saying them. People have to be held accountable or own their mistakes. And you say that from time to time as well. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Once in a while, I, I try and do something serious.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> tell people to, you know, lift their game and get better at it.
0: <laughs> we do. We do. And then, yeah, and that never happens, but we just keep going on about it. <laughs>
1: uh, we mention it again next week.
0: Yeah. But it is, yeah. I think, yeah. I'm not surprised. But I, I, yeah, I think we just give, um, a lot of information that people can use uh, and um, behind-the-scenes stuff that they're not going to get anywhere else. So,
1: mm, I like it. Well, Chris, just hold there for a sec.
0: And now it's time for the Job Files, thanks to no one in particular.
1: Now, Chris, I've actually been very excited to read this Job of the Week to you this week. As of course, as part of the job files, because (laughs) we read, we had a story last week in relation to this department. Now, I'm not suggesting there's changes afoot, but the uh, Department of the Chief Minister and Cabinet are advertising for an ongoing permanent full time position for an administrative office. Office a of seven position hmm. at the office of the commissioner for public employment. Hmm. Now this job, oh, this was the bit that got me. This job is only paying one hundred and thirty thousand to one hundred and forty thousand dollars in a package, which is a oh yeah, <laughs> which is a, a salary of one hundred and eleven to one hundred and twenty thousand plus super etc. <laughs> There's a lot to read in this, and I'm not going to read it all, because really, this is just about alerting our listeners to jobs that are available. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You've got to do the reading yourself. And they, yeah, yeah, yeah. You should not probably apply for it if you value <laughs> and respect yourself. Uh, wow. Now, what was this? So it was with the Commissioner for Public Employment, so we know she's leaving. And there was yeah. Some, so what Sorry. is this particular role? It's an officer or something?
1: Well, i got to say, when I first read it, I thought it was her job and I thought something's going on here if they're only offering this much, but it's Administrative Officer 7. So, yeah. the job is to contribute to industrial relations projects and advocacy cases in the Fair Work Commission on behalf of the statutory employer and provide advisory services on sector-wide,
0: NTPs. <laughs> yeah. well, that's why that's so funny, Pete, because <laughs> remember the advisor that was texting? everyone was
1: were, sure. <laughs> you, <laughs> you you were texting. Like, I'm fine, because that's what I was going to say at the uh, end, it was, Involving, please do not text when you're in Fair Work Commission.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there was this officer who worked for, for Telfer, who's mm-hmm. no longer going to be there soon, and she was texting yeah. This public servant, while she was giving evidence and telling her what to say, coaching her, and Telfer was made aware of this and took no action and said, "No, nah, it's fine."
1: The best yeah. part about it was the reaction was, "Oh, well, you know, she didn't know.
0: She didn't know. <laughs> yeah. she, she didn't, didn't know, know it was name. wrong.
1: Apart yeah. from the commissioner herself, oh, she didn't know. She no. didn't know you couldn't text when you're on the stand.
0: Asking <laughs> to be prompted." and giving people testimony that they're saying is their true testimony. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, again, like I said, if you respect yourself, don't apply.
1: And if you don't respect yourself, you can give Rachel Dunn a call. She is – now, I don't know if I don't understand um, government stuff as well as I thought I did, and it's been proven many times that I don't. But Rachel Dunn is a senior director. Employee relations. <laughs> I want to say, hey, if you read it, it's a slash senior. So I don't know whether the slash is not been acting. Or, acting. Or, ah, she's acting. <laughs> I'd be acting in that role too. Uh, you can give her a call on eight triple nine four one seven five, and you can discuss that gig with her, but only if you don't respect yourself according to
0: <laughs> uh, Pete, look, that's right. I mean, we've got. Yeah, so many of these jobs, and they just yeah. keep popping up, and they keep somehow tying back to the whole downfall of everything here, you know? Nobody's standing up and doing the right thing, even in those type of roles. It's, well, you know... Um, it's just a culture, right? It's just like a public service culture that's become that, that just, yeah. there's no, you know, there's very little integrity. Uh, and people willing to stand up, they just want to hold on to their jobs, and... No, so.
1: you know you were talking about the um the, the videotape of the former police commissioner being done when he was presenting to the recruits at the fire service yeah you know i was picturing you know they used to talk about the um the journalist pools back in the day or the photographer pools i was thinking like literally you know there's just like a pool of Social media people at the government. (laughs) Righto, someone's coming. with. It's almost like you lasso one of them to take them. (laughs) We're going to go on video to commissioner.
0: uh, Yeah, that that honestly, I think, is what some of their jobs are to do or the chief executive whatever department they're in. And, um, yeah, that that doesn't provide any value here for anybody. It doesn't make the territory a better place, that's for sure. Mm. Anyway, yeah.
1: Well, Chris, as always, mate, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to discussing more of the fun and frivolity with you next week.
0: (laughs) All right. Thanks, Pete. We'll see you then.
1: That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walshie back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. In the meantime, have
0: a great week. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. For more episodes, go to all your favorite podcasting platforms or head to territorystory.com.